Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. So, um, the Lord kind of uh, stepped in and just really gave me some inspiration and some instruction this week uh, to go this way. And evidently, there's somebody here this morning that needs it. Because how many know God doesn't talk just to hear his voice? And so uh, I encourage you, hopefully somebody here will listen and not go to sleep on me this morning. Let's stand together, Isaiah 61, and we'll read 1 through 3. We have been in a series called The Most Important uh, Sermon Series, and we're talking about the most important things you have to, you need to have nailed down in this new year, and some things that you can do um, to make your year one uh, that's uh, godly and uh, profitable. And so... Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the most important exchange to make in the new year. And Lord willing, next Sunday, we will finish with uh, the, the most important prayer to pray uh, in the new year. And uh, so we'll finish up, Lord willing, next Sunday with that one. But today, uh, evidently, the Lord uh, felt someone needs, needs to uh, look at this subject with me. So Isaiah 61 one through three. If you're there, say amen. Remember where we're reading. This is, this is a prophetic book, and this passage actually is a passage that Christ uh, picked up the scroll of Isaiah when he was about 12 years old, when he went to the temple one day, and he read this passage because he was the fulfillment of this passage. All right? And so uh, let's read it together, and I want you to keep Keep uh, Christ the Messiah in your mind as the fulfillment. This is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Number three, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion and to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I really need half a dozen folks or so to get a hold of this passage that says he's come to give unto us beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I want to look at this one to not today and call it the most important exchange to make in the new year. 
the most important exchange to make in the new year. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God that speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you will take this thought and place it in our hearts and our minds so that it would birth, Lord, uh, a rejoicing, uh, a redemption, a restoration in us. And Lord, I pray you would meet us as we pray in a few moments in Jesus' name. All God's people say amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. May the 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. It did so with the energy equivalent to 1,500 Hiroshima atom bombs. For nine straight hours, over 540 million tons of ashes fell over 22,000 square mile area. For the next two weeks, scientists would find the ashes from Mount St. Helens eruption literally all over the world. Ashes from the state of Washington was found to have been carried by the winds all the way to Europe, Africa, Asia, Antarctica. There were news reports for weeks. The skies of Spokane, Washington, some 300, 350 miles away from the mountain, were darkened for an entire day. 57 lives were lost, um, buried underneath the ashes, uh, along with thousands of uh, wildlife animals, fish, and etc. Thousands of people, they said, were uh, affected. They had their vision and their lungs impacted by all the ashes. Most likely, I thought when I read that, those of us here this morning probably never physically saw any of that other than maybe on a media screen. Uh, you can still uh, see clips of it, I think, on YouTube. But however, I think it could uh, be safely said that we have all seen different kind of ashes in our lives. Our text this morning deals with this subject of ashes, basically, and it means here in the context, uh, irreversible damage. Uh, ashes, how many burn wood in your home? There's a few still burn wood. Um, you know that ashes is all that is left after something has been completely burned up or we could use the word disintegrated, right? Um, in the natural, when something is broken, you can usually fix it. Uh, but if it has been reduced to ashes, um, it cannot be restored back to the way it was, much less better than it was. 
And so I want to make three observations this morning, Lord willing, then we'll conclude. Observation number one, we all have had ash moments in our lives, right? How many would agree? In Scripture, the Hebrews had a culture where they would put on what was called sackcloth. How many remember reading about that sackcloth, which was usually uh, some kind of goat's skin, but very coarse, uh, very uncomfortable, and that was the idea. They would clothe themselves in sackcloth and sit in a pile of ash because ashes were a symbol of, of sorrow was a symbol of deep emotional distress or pain. When the Hebrews sat in sackcloth and ashes, it symbolized they were serious about something. Y'all can say amen. It symbolized that they were coming to God pleading for his divine intervention. Today, we, we may not put on sackcloth. We may not sit in ashes. But today, ashes is still the place we find ourselves when everything has gone wrong. Can anybody identify with that? Ashes is a place where we can get where the enemy likes to torment us. Ashes is a place where maybe we have fallen into some sin and we feel like a failure and we feel like there's no hope of return or Redemption. Everybody say ashes. Ashes is the place we arrive when we are exhausted by, maybe just exhausted by all the family drama. Huh? And you ain't going to say amen to that because you don't want to. Ashes is the place where you have your back against the wall and and you cry out in desperation, somebody, please rescue me. See, in Scripture, we find various people who, who dealt with ashes, ranging from the man of faith, who's called the father of the faithful, Abraham. We find from Abraham to Job, from Esther to Daniel, these were those who experienced such depths of pain that they didn't know anything else to do but to cover their bodies with sackcloth and sit in a pile of ashes. That's actually where we find Job in Job chapter 2. He has just tragically lost all of his children, I believe seven sons, three daughters, 
He had lost his servants. He had lost his hired hands. He had lost all of his livestock, hundreds of sheep, oxen, camels, donkeys. He had lost his health. He was covered with with running ulcers from head to toe. His wife comes to him with discouraging words and basically says, you might as well give up, curse God and die. All he knew to do, Scripture says, was to sit in a pile of ashes. His whole world had been reduced to ashes. This is also where we find the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Because by this time in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, Daniel is an elderly man. He's lived most of his life in exile in the land of Babylon. His heart cries out. He longs to be able to return to his homeland of Israel. He begins to understand that he, though, will probably never be able to make the trip home. But he wants to do something to help his fellow Hebrews around him to be able to return. The only thing he does, it tells us, is to become Israel's intercessor. And he states that he will intercede for the exiles... And he said, I'm going to put on sackcloth and I will sit in this pile of ashes in humility and see if God will forgive my people of their sins and allow them to go back to the promised land. Now today, we don't usually think of someone interceding for someone else this way. But however, this is where we find the people of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3. The people had heard Jonah's message. They understood that unless they repented of their sins, everything around them, their city, their homes, their families would be destroyed. And so in chapter 3 of Jonah, from the greatest of them, Scripture says, the king, to the least of them, which would be a servant, they all put off their fine garments, covered themselves with sackcloth, and sit in ashes begging God for forgiveness and mercy. The whole city, think of that, wore sackcloth, sit in ashes, cried out to God for his mercy. Additionally, this is where we find a gentleman by the name of Mordecai in Esther chapter 4. Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had just discovered that Haman had tricked the king into writing a death sentence on all the Jews living in the kingdom of Persia. Thousands of Jews would be put to death and everything they owned would be given to this wicked man, Haman and his racist cronies. Mordecai does the only thing he can. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, goes around the capital city, crying out in prayer and emotional pain. All over the kingdom, others begin to join him, other Jews, as they cry out to the Lord for deliverance and rescue. Sorrow, pain, loss, heartache, repentance, and facing disaster all caused these and many others in the Old Testament to put on sackcloth and ashes and cry out to God. And many of us here this morning can sympathize with those ash moments. Right? We have felt the pain of losing a loved one, 
a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend. We have often sat by the bed either in a home or in the hospital and watched someone's physical life slip away moment by moment. We've experienced that moment when we know that the person we've loved is no longer there, just their body is left behind. We may have experienced a time when we were physically, emotionally, or spiritually hurt or wounded by someone who at first said they had loved us, only to be deeply betrayed and mistreated or abused by them eventually. We have wondered what the other side would look like or if we would survive to make it to the other side. The loss of a job, a marriage, a friendship, the loss of our health. One of the things about the stories of the people in Scripture is that they are real. There are heroes and there are villains. There are those who can bring about sunshine and rainbows and there are those who can bring about heartache, sorrow and death. And we are invited to go to the mountaintop with Elijah. We're invited to go to the mountaintop with Moses. But how many know we also walk alongside King David or Daniel or Job as they are overwhelmed by their grief, their pain, their sorrow, and their loss. We are invited to not deny our sorrow or our pain or our loss. Instead, we are to understand that there are ash moments that come to all of our lives. Hello? We are to understand that while we don't see ashes in the Garden of Gethsemane, we do read where Christ sweat drops of blood. As his heart was broken. While we don't see ashes at the bottom of the cross. We only have to look up and see his body being covered with blood. From the cat of nine tails. And from the nails in his wrists and his feet. While we don't see Mary in, in sackcloth and ashes. We do see her heart is broken. As she has to lay her eldest son in a borrowed tomb. I'm talking about ash moments. This morning as we read our Bibles, both the Old and the New Testament, we understand that the Lord understands our ash moments. Right? Hello. He understands our sorrow. He sits, in a sense, in our ashes with us. Hebrews 4.15 says we have an high priest who's able to empathize with us basically in our ashes so that we can find grace and mercy from Him to help us during that time. And so He knows all about it. And we all have our ash moments. So that takes us to observation number two. God not only understands our ashes, but He has made a way for them to be recycled into something beautiful. Oh, hallelujah. The word, the Hebrew word translated beauty here in the text is translated from a word that means a royal crown. In other words, God has the ability to take all the pain of our ashes and bring something that is royally beautiful 
out of that. Now back to our illustration that we started with from history. Immediately they said following the eruption on Mount St. Helens, scientists issued a warning that it would take a hundred years or more before we would see any life around that mountain again. They believed that the lava, along with the amount of ashes and devastation, would cause that entire area to be an eyesore for at least, they said, the next hundred years or more. However, though, one of the wonders of Mount St. Helens is that now after a little over, what is it, 44 years now, there are all kinds of new life. They said new trees, flowers, vegetation, animals, once again, are making Mount St. Helens their home. Today, the deer, the black bear, the mountain lion, other small animals are all finding places to raise their families back there again. Don't misunderstand me. Oh, you can still see damage amid uh, all of that, but the fact is new life is returning. In the midst of the ashes, beauty is returning. Oh, somebody ought to really get a hold of that. Isaiah reminds us that what happens in nature can also happen in our lives. Thanks to Jesus. In spite of all the ashes around us, we can experience new life taking place in the midst of our sorrows. The new normal may not be like what we had experienced before, but God, somebody ought to realize, God has a way of making a new normal just as beautiful, if not more beautiful. Because the patriarch Job He experienced a new normal. You go to the back of the book. Job did not stay in his pile of ashes, did he? For the rest of his life. No. At the end of the book, Job, we're told that the Lord provided him with a house full of children. With a house full of grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. The Lord made it possible for Job to regain his his wealth and his honor. I'm, I'm sure that Job still ached over his children that were taken from him. I'm sure he ached over those favorite uh, workers and their families that were lost. But I am also sure that his heart began to be full of joy and new life that began to surround him day after day. And God gave him beauty for his ashes. Now, through Esther, the people of Israel, we find at the end, were saved. Their worst enemy, Haman, uh, was removed. The ashes of Mordecai were traded in as he became the third person, third, excuse me, most powerful person in the Persian kingdom. And through his actions, the nation of Israel found peace and prosperity and protection. After the time of prayer in their ashes, the people of Nineveh were saved. And instead of in 40 days being destroyed, in 40 days they were still experiencing citywide revival. 
Praise God. The prophet Daniel did remain in Babylon. It is true that he never took another step into the promised land, but it's also true that his prayers were heard. And as he watched thousands of his own people pack up their belongings and get to go back to the promised land. Listen, Daniel's stories and his writings were taken back home and shared with others how God had watched over them and protected them in the land of Babylon for 70 years. See, it's not easy to endure the ashes. It's no fun. But I would venture to guess that every one of us have had at least one or more sackcloth and ash stories that we could share. Those times when we were uh, overwhelmed with sorrow, where we experienced pain and loss. Those times when we didn't know whether we would survive the fires that we were going through and how we would make it to the other side. That is what I love about the stories in Scripture, church. They show us the way. Praise God. Peter goes from the ashes of the night of betrayal to standing up on the day of Pentecost and proclaiming a message of salvation where 3,000 souls were born into the church. Mary Magdalene goes from the ashes of throwing away her life and embracing all kinds of evil to actually finding a new way to love and being the first human being to see the risen Lord. Listen, talk about trading ashes for beauty. Listen, we will not minimize the pain or the suffering of our ash moments, our sorrows and the loss perhaps of marriage or spouse or child or friend, the loss of job or the loss of health or whatever that loss may be. We all uh, will say that rising from the ashes is not easy, but we can say Christ has come to do what we could not do otherwise, and that is to trade us beauty for our ashes. This morning, if you are going through an ash moment, you don't have to go through that sorrow. You don't have to go through that pain and heartache alone. You don't have to because Isaiah reveals that part of the ministry description of Jesus Christ is to come to us in our ashes and give us beauty. I think you'll all agree that what's the use is oftentimes what we think when we find ourselves in those ashes moments uh, when we stay there in our heap of ashes uh, we want to quit but the truth is church unfair things happen people hurt us we become offended we experience loss we make mistakes we have seasons of disappointment but listen we're not designed to carry around those ashes forever we're not designed to carry around bitterness or resentment or heartache And too often we let those ashes define the rest of our lives. We open that old bag of ashes and we like to sift through it. We like to think and rewind our minds and replay those ash moments over. But listen, friends, observation number three is simply this. Our text implies we will not receive beauty unless we trade in those ashes. 
Hello, help me preach for just about five more minutes. Uh, We can't have heaven's beauty uh, and our ashes at the same time. Uh, Listen, we must give God uh, our hurt. Uh, We must give Him our pain uh, and then open our arms wide and trust that He's going to give us uh, beauty. Uh, I said He's going to give us beauty. Uh, He has beauty in store for us. I feel the Holy Ghost. Uh, We have to give Him uh, those the ashes. We have to give him our past. You're not going to take those ashes to heaven with you. He's going to say take the beauty of heaven over those ashes and I will transform your life. I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody right there. Oh hallelujah. Because church what we often do is we let a negative season of our life define the rest of our years. But God doesn't allow it to define us. Neither should we. Help me preach somebody. I say, help me preach somebody. Hello? He's not saying, well, you messed up, so you're never going to get the beautiful thing that I have for you. Listen, somebody's carrying around ashes of guilt, ashes of shame and regret. Listen, we can't do anything about what happened in our past. Somebody say it's over. Somebody say it's over. I said it's over, but we can do something about today. And that's why we need to exchange our ashes for the beauty of heaven. Listen, where there is beauty, Scripture promised uh, that we have had to give away our ashes uh, and we held on to them. And listen, beauty uh, for ashes is literally replacing a rejected identity with a celebrated one. You say, oh, I wish I could get a new start. Let me tell you, with Jesus you can. I said, with Jesus you can. This morning, uh, we've seen what ashes are. They're the gray and powdery substance left from something when it is totally burned up. Ashes is linked with negativities and the negatives of life is the loss and the affliction. But listen, I want to conclude with defining what beauty is. Can I do that? Beauty is the valued quality that is present in an object or person that gives intense, deep satisfaction to the beholder. Have you ever looked at something and said, Wow, that is so beautiful. Hello? How many has ever done that? Three of you. We got to do something. We got to take you and show you something beautiful. Hello? Listen, beauty for ashes is an open-ended promise to God's people that he will fulfill over and over again if we let him. No matter the ashes that has covered the burning coals of your life, uh, health or job or marriage or ministry and relationships, uh, family, education, whatever you fill in the blank, business. uh, Listen, God, he said, he told Isaiah to tell Israel, I can give you beauty for those ashes. Uh, And notice, he says, I will give it to you. Not that I have it to sell to you. You don't have to, hey, we could never really pay. We couldn't pay to see Christ on a cross for our redemption. We don't have that kind of money to 
buy our way into heaven. No, no, no. But he says, I will give you your beauty for ashes. And he goes on and says, I can give you the oil of joy for your mourning. And I'll give you the garment of praise if you will give me your spirit of heaviness. Listen, God's exchanges are unexplainably free, but they are true. Raise your hands and praise Him. Somebody say, I'm going to leave this service with something beautiful in my life. You may came in here with a bag full of ashes and you've carried your ashes ever since you had that moment, that ash moment. But I want to encourage you in a few moments. I'd like to see some families and some folks filter in these altars and say, God, I am bringing my ashes because you said you would give me something beautiful. God the psalmist said in 113 and 7 sister Jones you can come that God likes to lift the needy out of the ash heap and he says he'll set him at the banqueting table with princess oh somebody ought to really get a hold of that you can have camp meeting right there I said, praise God. Can I have at least three people? Three people that say, yes, I'm going to latch hold of that. I'm going to believe that word. Listen, I'm not preaching out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. There's not many Sears left, number one. But listen, I'm preaching out of this book. How many believe those words are true? There is beauty for your ashes. I said there is beauty. If you feel you are on a very large ash heap, you say, Pastor, it seems like my life is nothing but ashes. Listen, this promise is tailor made for you hallelujah because God promises to lift us out of the ashes Praise God. David said he brought me out of a miry clay I feel the Holy Ghost right here. You might as well have church with me. I said, you might as well have church with me. Somebody needs to realize he will pick you up out of your ash heap. He will pick you up out of your miry clay and set your feet on a rock and give you beauty for the ugliness in your life. Praise God. From ashes to beauty. Somebody say, that's an exchange worth making. And here's the thing. Christ is the link between the ashes and the beauty. You see, Christ, as we stand together, was the link between the ashes of Good Friday and the beauty on Easter Sunday. Mm, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost and you, if you have to go, go ahead. You can leave. Nobody's going to keep you here. But I feel the Holy Ghost for somebody that needs to say, God, 
I've had ashes long enough. I said I've had ashes long enough. And I'm trusting that 2024 will be the year that God, when I give Him my ashes, He'll make something beautiful. Somebody here this morning needs to pray and say, Lord, I'll give you these ashes if you'll give me something beautiful. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because he said, I'll turn your mourning into dancing. Does anybody believe that in the house? Oh, pastor, you're just feeding us a prosperity line. Listen, it's either his promise or it's not. Hello. He said, I'll turn your sorrows into singing, your sadness into joy. So as we close, let me ask you a question. Is there an issue or an area that you could give to Christ so that he could redeem it this morning? Maybe it's a family member you've been praying for. Go ahead and surrender them to the Lord. You say, I I need to see some beauty in these, these ashes. I want you to know, God can do it. I said, God can do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If somebody will understand, you got to do your part. And that's you've got to give him your ashes. Oh, but I've grown comfortable with these ashes. I like to bring them up once in a while. Well, then, then you'll never experience his beauty. Hello, church. Talk back to me, church. Is that not right? Hey, is this Pentecostal church? Talk back to me here real quick. If you believe that, you say, I don't have nothing to give God. You've got ashes. Every one of us have ashes. So if you'll give them, oh, come by, somebody, 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 step out and just meet me in these altars and say, God, I'm ready. I'm going to give you the ashes. I'm going to trust you for something beautiful. Sing it, Sister Jones. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you can, you can come into this service right here before they slip out. God, you can come into this service. Individuals are bringing their ashes. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, whatever the situation is, whatever the need, Lord, I'm asking you to do a work. I'm asking you to do a work. Thank you, Jesus. This week is going to be different for somebody. This week is going to be different for somebody. You need to let that depression go. You need to let the depression go. (laughs) I said let the depression go. In the name of Jesus, the Lord did not give me this message just for you to shirk it off, church. Oh, you're my friend. You're my beloved. And I feel like I'm doing battle for your soul. I feel like I'm doing battle for somebody's soul this morning. In the name of Jesus, somebody needs to give him your ashes. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Strength to the broken brings joy in the sorrow. 
healing for pain. He gives beauty for ashes, turns sorrow to song. He's the hope of the hopeless, who gives beauty for ashes. He gives beauty for ashes, strength to the broken, brings 